Welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. My name is Sam Parada. I'm here again with Dan Rudman. We are starting episode number three in a series on biblical manhood and womanhood. The first episode, which again, I, I'm going to keep rehashing this in that if you have not listened to uh, the first two episodes before this, I really encourage you to go back and listen to those because this is, you could say this is just one long linear um could say presentation of what the Bible says about about this topic of manhood and womanhood, and we started the first episode in this series really on hermeneutics. What what are the, what's the science? What's the art of biblical interpretation? How do we interpret our Bibles? Uh, because if we if we're not interpreting our Bibles correctly, or if we're not using the correct principles to interpret the Bible, then we're going to come to some wrong conclusions. And why this uh, why this topic of manhood and womanhood is so. Uh, uncomfortable to so many people because really there's some pretty stark differences on what people think about these things and it's very culturally sensitive right now and and even within the Christian community there's some there's some pretty stark differences and it all comes back down to how did we interpret our Bible how do we view the Bible do we see the Bible as our ultimate authority or not Uh, is it God's actual spoken revealed word to us or not and that that really does determine our conclusions and eventually our application. So I don't want you. Um, I mean, and you, you you obviously totally have the ability, you who are listening to this podcast episode, to just continue to listen to this and say, I'm not going to listen to the first two, and I'm just going to listen to this one. That's fine. You can do that. Uh, but no, you will be greatly helped if you do go back and listen to the first two. It's, you know, the hermeneutics one first, and then the the second one we did was uh, looking at Genesis 1 through 3. And why, again, I say it's almost imperative that you go back and listen to Genesis 1 through 3 as well because there we have a we get a very unique and amazing glimpse of God's design for man and woman before sin entered the world and, and caused chaos and caused conflict and caused separation and caused all, this, all these issues and tainted God's good design and plan. So we do get this very unique look in Genesis 1 and 2 of 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 how God created this world to operate, and and He said it was very good. It was something very good, and and how He created man, how He created woman, was very good. Um, and but we do indeed in Genesis one and two before the fall see a distinction. We do see one that man and woman were created equal, and equal in the in the only sense where equality really matters, and that is they're equal in dignity, equal in worth, equal in value, uh, and, and equal in the fact that they're both created in the image of God, in the image, the, the, the creator of all things. And that's an amazing thing. And that is a, is a profound equality. But they have differences. I mean, differences in role. The man is the head and, and the woman is to, is to submit to the head. And as the text says, she was created as uh, man's, as Adam's suitable helper, fit for him. Um, and so we see distinction and we see differences and those things are good. They were before the fall. That's God's design. It was, it was ordained by God. It's good. So now we know we, we walked through Genesis three. So again, if you haven't listened to it, go, please go back and listen to it. We walked through the fall. What did the fall do? Hey, could I say something oh, before? Oh, yes. Before you get to the fall, can I say something about that? Um, even when, yeah. even when you use those words, if people haven't listened to all of this, we know that this, like this word, it's so frustrating to me, but you use the word submission or submit. 
It sounds yep. like such a swear word. It's such a cursing <laughs> word. And, yeah. and I'd almost want to qualify it. First of all, please listen to everything before you put your meaning into that. Right. You know? But secondly, seriously, before the fall, there is a real sense in which God didn't even have to command. Yeah. Think about it. He really didn't have to command Eve to, uh, to accept this role that she had. Right. She totally accepted it because it fit with who she was made to be. Right. Like, 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 a, like, you know, sometimes I joke about different things I do in my life. People say, well, you know, they'll, they'll give me some accolade about some, some area of giftedness I have. And I kind of sure. joke sometimes because I go, I'm just a duck that flies and lands on ponds. And I sort of, yeah, I sort of, sort of mean, well, you know, I appreciate, you know, the pat on the back in some ways I'm just doing what I was made to do. Yep. And in a certain strange way, I can't even take any credit for it. I'm just, this is kind of who I am. You know what I mean? In the God be- made me this way. Yeah, yep. in, the, in the best sense of that, right? So, yep. again, pre-fall, Eve wouldn't have had a question about this. She wouldn't have had, no. to, she wouldn't have had to be it, commanded to say, hey, it, there's it, a role you're supposed to play. She totally loved her role. She totally yep. fit in that role was a helper suitable for Adam. They were together in a complementary and I'm talking about complementary in right now. I'm just saying the truth that using the word in its proper dictionary form, they complemented one another. Yes. They fit together while there was clearly a role of head and her coming alongside of him. It doesn't yep. mean inferiority. No. Subordination is a good word that doesn't mean inferiority. It's right. not unqualified. I mean, there's a way... That you know, and again, we talked about the Trinity. There's a subordination in the Trinity. Um, yep. God, God the Father. We went through a few passages. He's known as a helper. It doesn't mean you're inferior. It doesn't mean you're less than. Right. It's a. Right. It's a. It's a role. Right. And, right. And together, when you read uh, the the thirty thousand foot view, as you called it, in Genesis yep. one, uh, 27, 28, 29, they were to have dominion together. Yeah, they ruled the together. They ruled together. Yep. Even that, you could say, yep. no, they ruled together. But yep. but even in that, in that complement sense, there, there were authentic natures of Adam that he had. Yep. You know, the initiator, the protector, the defender, uh, the uh, the one that responded to God, brought the word from God to her. Uh, yep. she, and he was totally intent and content, right, in doing that. Yep. And she yep. was totally content receiving, hey, what God say today or whatever that w- would be, look like, uh, responding to him, hey, what's the mission today? Oh, yeah, let's go do it. I think we should make it do it this way a little bit. She had, co- you know, contribution to that yeah. whole thing. And it worked together. It worked together. And they and it says there in uh, Genesis 1, they, it was very good compared to the rest of the creation, which was good. Yeah. And further, at the end of chapter 2, we end up at this place before the fall where there's this big statement like they totally enjoyed their roles. Think of it that way. They were and there's un- no shame. They were no, naked no and there's no shame. No shame, no conflict. And so even yeah. when you quickly... No tension in their being. Right. So when you use those words, headship and submission, most people are hearing those words in a context now that's post-fall as well as connotation words that are used in yep. our culture and misunderstood. So I just yep. felt like I want to clarify that before people automatically 
listened. Maybe this is the first time they've listened to the Sam and they didn't listen to the others. And they're thinking, oh, yeah. here we go. And it's like, no, no, no. You got to listen to this piece by piece. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And, and we would, we would hope, you know, we have these hopes that you've listened to the ones before and yeah. that maybe you've listened to some other ones. Cause we, we've been trying to hammer home this idea of presuppositions, uh, mm -hmm. these assumptions, these truths, these facts that we take to the table, we put them out on the table. These are, our, this is our source, our bedrock. Dan has said it's our first domino in the line. Uh, and it affects everything else that we think about or the conclusions that we come to. And it even affects our behavior, our presupposition. So our yeah. presupposition again, God, the triune God exists. He has spoken. He's revealed his, his word to us. It's, it's authoritative. It's infallible. It's inerrant. It's without error. It speaks truthfully to our situation. It speaks truthfully to our reality. It tells us true things, and we should trust it. We should believe it. We should build our lives on it. And so that's, again, our presupposition. So when we go to the Bible and we see it say things, we should believe that and, and actually act according to it. Yeah. And, and if we do, it will cause us to uh, flourish in the best sense of that, meaning to enjoy God, to glorify God, in the proper sense. Yep. And, and, and further than what we're doing right now is, um, as you've said it, but I'm just reemphasizing it, Sam. If you've just stepped into this being your first podcast, we keep saying this. So what we're trying to do is put the pieces on the table first. Yeah. So again, even when Sam says headship and submission, we haven't really fully fleshed that out in kind of an uh, you know, application kind of way. Yeah, really. You may think we're already saying something and wait till we get to the end before you draw conclusions. And then at that point, if you draw conclusions and you don't even like our conclusions, OK, I can live with that if you've listened to the pieces on the table first. Yeah. Yep. And if you want to disagree, yep, this we, is all... we, that'd be another discussion. But at this point, even this podcast, we're still putting pieces on the table. Oh, yeah, exactly. Okay. So the piece that we're putting on the table today and again, not exhaustively either. Uh, there's only so much you can do in a, in a podcast episode, but we're going to look at the Old Testament. And again, the Old Testament is a pretty large chunk of Scripture. Yeah. So there's quite a bit of information here that we could get into that we won't. We're just going to look at it more broadly, look at some specific examples and what we see here and the patterns that we see here and certain things. So we've already started in Genesis 1 through 3. We've already come to this idea that God has indeed made man and woman equal in, in the, that their image bears a God, equal in the only sense that equality matters, that they're equal in dignity and worth and value, but different in their role. And even biologically, we don't, we don't, I mean, we don't really necessarily see that there, but we know, I mean, Adam looked at Eve and she looked different than he did. Yeah. He even knew that. Like there's something about the way that God even made her that's different than me to complement the role. Yeah. So, there's that reality there that we are different though, and that's yeah. good. And even and, uh, it's, and giftedness, we we emphasize and, giftedness. Yep. And right. Yep. We, we talked about giftedness. Yep. So then we looked at the fall. Uh, we saw the deception of Satan. What did he do? We're not going to get into that. If you want to get into that, because it's so insightful, go back and listen to the other one. We don't got time to rehash it all. But the point is, the consequences now of our sin of Adam and Eve's sin, the, it did correspond to their role. But now we're post-fall. So now we're going to look at the rest of the Old Testament in this post-fall context. Sin has entered the world. It's confused everything. It's tainted everything. It's caused conflict in the, in the relationship between a man and a woman. There's conflict here now. 
There's tension here now. They feel the tension. Before, they didn't feel this tension between how God designed them and what they wanted to do. Like, now there's a tension. God designed me as a man to operate a certain way, but now I feel this tension of maybe I don't want to do that anymore. And I, as a man, will feel that. So the word I use, Sam, I used it, I think, in another podcast. I don't know. It was one one of those. Um, I like this word alienation. Yeah. So since the fall, the fall happened, there's an alienation. First of all, there's an alienation in, within me. Yep. Me, me. Like even as a man, I've been created to be a man and do a certain thing, but there is conflict within me in doing that. Yep, exactly. And, that, and then we call that theologically in the Bible, the total depravity of man, meaning every aspect of my being, my thoughts, yep. my emotions, my will are all are, are, are screwy now. They're they're out of joint. Right. They're, now, I haven't lost some impression of the original creation it's still sort of here you see me and there's some things about me that are still very you can see the dignity you can see the image it's there but it's distorted it's out of joint yep so there's an alienation within me and 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 let me take a step before that the greatest alienation came between an alienation between adam and even god so the the first alienation actually is god and because of that because there's an alienation between me and god now there's an alienation within me and then there's now an alienation within me and the woman, right? There's yep. an alienation there. And then there's an alienation between me and the created order, the world I live right. in, the things I do. Everything's kind of disjointed and difficult. Well, right. And so as you get into the, as we get into this Old Testament, you have to keep that in your mind that what we're doing now is we're looking at a descriptive reality that has un- unfolding because of the fall. Yeah, and that's that's an important distinction to make right there. When we come to our Bibles to interpret it, we have these categories. We might call we call them descriptive and prescriptive. So th- there's this reality that the Bible actually it's not doesn't shy away from just saying how life is and talking about it and 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 displaying it and saying this is just what happened. We live in a sinful world where bad things happen now, and there's a lot of suffering and a lot of pain, and the Bible does not shy away from just saying and talking and displaying that reality. And we call that descriptive stuff. And we see this especially in, in what we would call the genre, if you think back to the hermeneutics one, of historical narrative. When we read through historical narrative, we're reading history. We're reading what, what actually happened, and it tells us often in very good detail of what actually happened, and that's helpful to us. But we can't then say that that's somehow prescribing something. That's where we get into prescription, where this is where God would actually speak and say, this is how you live. This is what you do. He gives you a command. He prescribes mm-hmm. you something. Right. And so when I start reading the Bible now in this post-fall environment, and I read something that's horrible, maybe like a rape or something, because we do see rape in the Bible, or we see polygamy, Uh, a man with multiple wives and all these different things and we see incest and we see these these things are just that's just not right in no way should you just also think that this is somehow god is somehow prescribing this lifestyle now no it's a description of how sin jacks us up and jacks up this good design that god had made in the beginning and now we're seeing Mm -hmm. it it, this described this jacking up described Mm -hmm. But it doesn't change the original prescription, you could say, which was given to us in the beginning of Genesis before the fall of how we are to act, though, and how our relationships 
uh, should still be like there still sh- there still is that original prescription mm. though of how God has ordered the world. Yeah, and so this since, so, since this is unfolding just in the introduction, you know, again podcast we don't have a perfect scripted deal here. Um, but since you're talking about that, Sam, not to go too deep yet, but like not only do we have description prescription, right? But we yep. also have like uh, uh, accommodating things or mitigation things. And what I mean by that is sometimes, and let me just give you one, marriage in the beginning was always one, yeah. one man and one woman. Right. Well, then you see this conflict because of the fall unfolding in the Old Testament. Yep. And there were times that God allowed certain things in the midst of all the sin to try to make light of the mess. Yeah. But that prescription of that. So, for example, Jesus was asked in Mark 10 about this, and he said, hey, from the beginning, it was meant to be one man and one woman. Yep. And they were asking him about divorce in Mark 10. Divorce. And then he yep. said, okay, so Moses permitted this divorce in this period of time, not as like, God's number one prescription, like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Get a divorce. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't the point. He had to do it because it was such a mess. And so yeah. it was, you know, what's the word I'm trying to use? Um, it wasn't God's original intention to allow for divorce. Mm-mm. But Moses allowed for it because of the mess. See, because of the mess. So when you're reading that in the Old Testament, this is one of the problems why we started with hermeneutics in this discussion, folks who are listening is once again, what you will find out there is you will find even people who claim to be Christians, and in large measure they probably are, who don't come with proper hermeneutics. They take, come with ideas out in a culture, and they bring them to the Bible, and then they'll go to something in Old Testament and say, see, look what happened there, blah, blah, blah. And and we would go, well, yeah, but you're, 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 you're misinterpreting it, you're misapplying it, because it is saying something descriptive, descriptive, but guess what God would have said, and God does say, that's a bunch of baloney too. He's not yeah. saying it; it's good and right, or right. But he's saying, no, this is what happened. This is what God's word showing us. And so again, yeah. the divorce issue, I think, is a good example where Jesus says, no, there was never original intention for divorce, ever. No. And seriously, the Bible talks about this. It's so common in our culture now that it's a mess. But but and maybe we'll get to that when we get to the um, New Testament portion of this discussion, which we're not doing today. Yep. But. You know, he allowed certain things in the midst of the sin to try to deal, if you will, with humanity saying, okay, you live in a messed up world. What can we do with this now? It's kind of like uh, in the garden when they left wearing animal skins. You know, God came in a merciful way and provided clothing for them to cover some of their nakedness. Right. They they were designed in the beginning to be naked and feel no shame. Right. Now they feel shame. So there's this, recognize again, so, is there, so there's a response. You could say in, in the term I'm using here, there's this like, and I don't know if it's the best term, but an accommodation. There's this, this yeah. okay, I'm going to deal with your sinfulness and here's how we're going to deal with it. Right. Because you can't go and undo scrambled eggs. <laughs> right. But what are we going to do with it now that we have it? Well, that's what you right. see a lot. When we get into some of these high points in the Old Testament, that's what you're going to see. You're going to, yeah. you can't just go there and say, see, the, God allowed this. But no, no, no. He was dealing with scrambled eggs that you can't undo. Right. And he's saying, okay, now that that's a mess, this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. So we have yep. to go. Oh, so that's enough said on that. Go ahead. No, I thought that was, that was fantastic. We, yep, that's exactly right. Now, something to add again, <laughs> all these hermeneutics things to add. Uh, this is something that... Um, you know, people who interpret the Bible maybe a little bit differently, what they might do is they might say, 
that, okay, and this starts from a, a, a presupposition that the Word of God is not uh, His inspired Word and thus authoritative and, and God-breathed. They might start with a presupposition that it's not. It's just made by, you know, it's just man's book, man's ideas. And so they, they might s- dismiss uh, what we see or the pattern that we're going to start to talk about here as we look into the rest of the Old Testament. They might dismiss this, you could say, um, 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 where the man is the head of the house or the head of the, the, this people. Uh, they might dismiss it as, well, that was just the culture in the time. Uh, the culture was, was a... Was a patriarchal culture, man-centeredness, it was all about man, and women were inferior. So obviously the the authors of these books were going to write that way. And we should just dismiss it then as cultural. And we're in a different culture now, so we need to change. And that, again, starts from the presupposition that, no, this isn't God's inspired book and thus authoritative and speaking truthfully and following a pa- pattern that was that began before the fall. So... We have to understand that. You could say, oh, Moses, he, you know, he, he, when he wrote Genesis, you know, he was just immersed in this culture where women were inferior and man had all the power, blah, 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 and they domineered. And so, of course, he would write uh, the Genesis account where, uh, you know, where, where Adam was the head over Eve and blah, 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 blah. It's like, again, it's starting with a wrong presupposition, a presupposition that, the, that this is not God's word. You know, We're that, starting with the presupposition yeah, go, that this is God's word. Yeah, or... Or a little bit of a movement from that is like some things are God's word within this thing called the Bible. Some things aren't. That's another piece. Yeah. And you find that a lot. Well, so-and-so. Yeah. You know, Paul said that. We talked about that before. People. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Well, in the Paul New said that. Too. So therefore, yeah. You know, it's like not the word of God. No, 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 no. The whole thing is a red letter edition. Your red letter edition means everything in your Bible is red letter. <laughs> yeah. Everything has is red. Everything is what God said. Okay. Now, I was going to say something about that, though. Oh. It's an interesting thing to me, just that point. I was—I actually had it in my notes for our discussion, Sam, to say at the end, but since you brought it up, I'll just throw it. Oh. <laughs> no, you know, I thought we'd go through sure. it first, then come to some of these, but let's just throw it on the front. I find that interesting, just that kind of conversation, because, well, Moses is copying the culture around him, and that's why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Listen, when he is writing to the nation of Israel, they were to be a separate people. They were yep. to be a, a, a special people. They were God's chosen people. They were to live specially and differently. And if you look at everything else that's being said, it's very clear they're to be different. Okay, And one of the incredible marks of differenceness was the men had to be circumcised. Okay, So, so yep. uh, I mean, you think of just that, that thing of, called circumcision. And uh, I mean, like, Moses could have easily given into the culture and done what cultural stuff did. He, I mean, he did kind of this radical thing that says, no, you go get circumcised. And what? even that was not only did it demonstrate this incredible seal. We're not getting into that yeah. here. But this demonstration of the seal that you're a covenant people, that you're a separate people. Yeah, it's people. a sign of the covenant. But but even it's a sexual organ. I mean, yeah. And and so every woman that saw a guy would go, oh, he is an Israelite. Oh, he's not in he's Israel. Not. Like it's yeah. like it's pretty apparent what God's doing. So all I'm trying to get at is though is that they did a bunch of things that clearly made them a separate people. They well, yeah, that were not according to the culture they, at all. Their diet, 
their uh, commitment, their laws. And again, we'll get into the fact that they didn't obey the law that God gave them, but they were to treat each other very differently than the entire society oh, was being their, treated. Their justice system, their social justice system, all yep. that stuff yep. is incredible. Very different. They were to be a very separate people. And in fact, uh, we were talking, Sam and I were talking earlier. This is an interesting one to me that because this has been thrown at me in like uh, apologetic discussions. Like I've spoken to universities and I've had friends with, you know, many non-Christians. And I'm thinking of an atheist guy right now, a friend of mine that, you know, I would call him a friend of mine too, by the way. Um, but, but he was throwing at me, well, what about, you know, the the uh, uh, you know, nation of Israel is going to conquer this land and they're supposed to, they're supposed to, you know, kill everybody except for these, these young virgins. And they're supposed to take these young virgins and see what he's thinking is that sexual. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, is in that culture that they were taking those young girls from those young girls were going to experience all sorts of awful things, incest, sold into prostitution used yeah, they as, lived in a pagan used, society with no used, with no moral objective yep used used as temple prostitutes maybe even yep. bur maybe even burned at the hands of Moloch a big steel statue uh, yep. that, that was a sacrifice these girl these little girls had the potential and a high high potential high percentage potential of being greatly mistreated in their own culture and so right. when, when the nation of Israel took these little girls in, there's a real sense that this is like a rescue and a protection of these little girls. Yeah. They're not taking them as their sex slaves. You see, no. you see the, so when he says that, I'm like, oh, no, no, no. These little girls had a much better life now. Right. They were, you're imposing your, your pagan ideas on, on this, this unique people set apart by God. Yeah. And then, like, and, and then now they're taking these foreigners in their midst, these little girls, and you say, well, they're going to make them servants. Well, yeah, these girls probably would have loved to work in the home and, and work in well, the kitchen. And, and don't forget, read the, read the qualification, read how you were, the masters were, were to treat their servants. Like it's very detailed and it's very, it's right. a very serious thing. So, like there's. So the, so, so the big point I'm just saying is that Moses has clearly written lots of things inspired by God, meaning God gave him the laws that God gave his people, the way they were to live life was absolutely countercultural. Yeah, that's a great word, countercultural. So there's no way yep. that he, he's writing something accommodating the to, culture to the, the culture, saying, oh, well, the culture does it, so we're going to do it. Yeah, yeah. They didn't do it on any other level, right down to the way they ate. You're right. So I can guarantee you that if there had to be something that was looked completely radically different, it would have been here. Okay, so yeah. that's now we said it on the front great end, point. but we probably need to get into the text. Yep. So. Okay, so what what are, what are we as we start to get into uh, obviously when we talk about the rest of the Old Testament we're talking about post Genesis three Genesis four all the way through Malachi really so <laughs> this huge swath of scripture but there's a few things that we're going to look at and we're going to look at what we would call the patriarchs yep and again we hear this word patriarchs patriarchy blah 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 and it's just like again another connotation where it's like oh that's just a, that's a swear word how dare you say that patriarchy that's just oh man that's a horrible word it's like uh hold up now let's let's see what it is biblically though because it, it it is a thing so we have the patriarchs uh so we're thinking of guys like abraham and isaac and jacob uh and then we have this idea of of the uh the priests and so 
obviously we see when Moses, you know, the Exodus movement where God saves his people uh, out of slavery in Egypt. He, he, he starts this institution called the priesthood, and it starts with the line of Levite. Only the Levites can be priests, and it comes from, uh, and only the high priests are of the line of Aaron uh, specifically. So we have this institution of the priesthood. And then we see further on uh, where uh, there's this new institution called the monarchy. Uh, and it's, it's really, it starts with Saul, but then it becomes the line of David. And so we see this monarchy. And so we see these institutions. Start with the patriarchs. We've got the priesthood, got the monarchy. And then we have to talk a little bit about this, this idea of the prophet as well. And so those are kind of our frameworks to think about as we start to look at uh, the Old Testament and how it views uh, man and woman. Do you have anything to add on that, Dan? Or uh, Well, um, yeah, de- depending where you want to go, but we could start with this idea of just the patriarchs. Yep, that's what I was thinking. Okay. Yep. And, and, and truly, the patriarchs are clearly, as we begin to read, are following the pattern that we saw even in pre-fall initially. There's this, yes. there's this pattern. Okay, and so the it was patriarchalistic, if you want to say it way that you could say patriarchy, but but that sort of meant um, there were three things here. They 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 there was this um, uh, when they tracked a family, they tracked it through the father's line. So it so it's yep. lineal through the father's line. That was that was part of the part of the discussion. The other part, which goes with what we have again in pre-fall Genesis, eventually yep. with Cain and Abel. Um, uh, then you have um, that uh, there was this local representation of the patriarchy, and that is when a woman was joined with a man, became one flesh, she mm-hmm. joined the father or the husband's household. Right. He didn't join her household. She she right. came to his household and took his name, if you will. Let's say it that yeah. way. Yeah, and we still have that today. Yep. And then finally, again, in roles and... Uh, the way the family was structured, uh, the father, the father was the head. He was the leader of this family unit. There was a family yep. unit. He's the head. The woman joins this family unit. When she joins this family unit, it's still connected to the father's grandfather, 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 grandfather. It, it's traced yep. through the father's line. Right. Okay? So that was that's that's clearly unfolding in our Old Testament and what we call. The patriarchs, that's yep. there, right? And, and, and go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and, and then obviously, then when the this this wife, you know, she's united to her husband, they become one flesh. It's still this beautiful picture, though. It's there's still something really. You say God's common grace is still working, and we still have this amazing picture of marriage. Yep. They become one flesh. They have children. Again, as we have said, now the children are are to submit to their parents. And and then if the if this if this family unit if the the mother and the father have have a boy the firstborn male really becomes you know gets the inheritance or gets the right to the inheritance yeah. and then that family name kind of goes and the legacy goes with him so we just see this pattern and yeah. then uh, so can I I mean one of the things I want to say about when we say the father yeah. is the leader headship understand then this though if you, again we're jumping through a lot of I mean. You have thousands of, you know, hundreds of pages to read here. And we're, yeah, we're just yeah, touching yeah. high points. Okay, so here's the point. The emphasis here, whenever you see this, the leadership of the father, okay? And we'll probably 
unpack some examples. The emphasis is not on power, like you get to be the boss and dominate. The, yeah. emph the emphasis is always on the responsibility to yeah. a, a trust, really, of yeah. ca caring and securing and providing Biting. and really, truly a blessing to those around him. Yeah. The emphasis is not you're the boss and you get to make everybody, you know, subjugate everybody. That's not it. It, it, no. it, it is a picture of lifting everybody up a, around you and, right. and blessing them and you becoming a blessing to them. Right. Exactly. And so realize then that as you start to read through the Old Testament, though, you will see examples of where men went awry. <laughs> oh. And certainly we have a lot of them. All the time. <laughs> Everywhere. Everywhere. I mean, here's the, here's the deal. This is the amazing thing about the Scripture and about the how explicit and how non-afraid the, the Bible is, you could say, or God is to inspire men to, to show the weakness of man. And so here you have the first patriarch, Abraham. God calls Abraham. And he promises them to make him a nation, to have his descendants be more numerous than you know the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore, or whatever. And he says he's going to he's going to give him a, a people. Uh, he's going to give he's going to make the, his his prodigy his people. They're going to be a blessing to all nations. And then he's going to promise him some land. Uh, and, and so he gives him this promise. He, these promises. He makes a covenant with him. And 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 then. Here's the issue, though. Like, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they don't have any kids. <laughs> and and uh, here he's promised to be a, this father of this giant nation, and they don't have any kids, and they're getting old, and, and, and Sarah's womb is barren. So it's just this, I mean, incredible thing. Where am I getting at? Well, what I'm getting at, this is what I, the point I wanted to make. Right when... Uh, God calls Abraham, Genesis 12, we see this amazing picture where they go to sojourn in Egypt. And right away, here's this man that, a that God calls that's going to be the, the father of this giant nation, God's people. We see the error and the foolishness and the sin of Abraham. And they get into Egypt and he gets afraid and he thinks, well, my wife, Sarah, she's pretty good looking and these Egyptians are going to want her. And, and they're going to see how beautiful she is, and, and they're going to kill me so that they can take her as their own. So, when we go to Egypt, Sarah, he says, just say that, that we're brother and sister, and not husband and wife, so that it may go well with me. <laughs> and, and, I mean, it's just ridiculous. So, here you, you see that Abraham is, is a man like everybody else, sinful, makes stupid decisions. And, but God has promised to make him a people, so he God still acts in favor of Abraham and, and basically starts to curse uh, the, the, the house of Pharaoh and the Egyptians because of Sarah. Uh, and uh, Pharaoh eventually says, Abraham figures it out. Abraham, why did you lie to me? Um, why, did you, why did you not just tell me that she was your wife? Because I could have lied with her and then you would have brought this great curse upon my, upon my house. Um, but the point is, it's just like, we see man's failure. We see Abraham's failure. That was, that was stupid. He shouldn't have done that. That was sin. He lied. Um, and, and again, that's the point, though. Don't start to think that you're just going to see this perfect display of biblical manhood uh, as we start to get into all these narratives and these stories. But nonetheless, 
God chooses Abraham, a man, again, as the head, to make him a people. He indeed does make him a people. Eventually, uh, Sarah and Abraham have a son, Isaac. Uh, so again, it, it goes to another man, Isaac. Uh, and then Isaac uh, has children, and it goes to another one, Jacob. Now, this is a very interesting thing. We don't want to get into all this because it's a different discussion, but Jacob was actually not the firstborn. Um, but there's just a whole interesting thing on, on the doctrine of election and that in that story there. But nonetheless, it goes to another uh, son, Jacob, and then Jacob has 12 sons, and they become the 12 tribes of Israel. And so these sons, again, men, male headship, male leadership, they become the leaders of the heads of these of these tribes. And the, 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 the tribes of Israel are named after after these uh, these men, these sons of Jacob. And Jacob is actually renamed Israel. So the nation of Israel itself is is named after one of the patriarchs, Jacob, who is renamed Israel. So again, this whole we're seeing these these elements of of male headship here and leadership, and it, it shouldn't be something that should be a, a bad thing or a negative thing or it shouldn't put a bad taste in your mouth. It's how it is. It's it's good. It's according to God's original design and pre-fall that man would be the head and that and that you could say families and nations would be named after the men just as uh, mankind is named after man. Under man is both male and female, as we saw in, in Genesis 1. So we see that pattern continue. Nation of Israel, it's named after the patriarch, Jacob, who was re- renamed Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel, named after the sons of Jacob. So, again, pattern, headship, leadership. Right. And so while you emphasize the pattern, and we want to continue to do that, and eventually tipping my hand to the other podcast, you're going to see this pattern unfold. In the New Testament. Real clearly in the New Testament. So yep. so what you've got going on here is we, we keep emphasizing this original intention, the original yep. Adam and Eve. And now we're into this, let's say the Old Testament, you know, all the narrative, all the stories, everything going on. And sin has now entered in, so it's post-fall. And it's, yep. it's, it's messy. And you see uh, right away, here's Abraham the early patriarch, already more concerned about protecting himself than caring for his wife that he literally would say, oh, I'll say you're my sister and hands her to the king, you know. To the, yeah, to, yeah, to, yeah. To the rule, as if, oh, yeah, you go have your way with her. Uh, I yeah. mean, you don't know what's going on. And now, amazingly, God protected her. Yeah. Which was a it's great, amazing. great part of the story. But the point was, is he did abdicate where he should be. And you will see yep. this then. In fact... Um, there's, there, you know, not only abdicating leadership, but some very specific things you see, obviously the struggle for control will be an area of sin. We'll see unfold now in the old Testament. We'll see polygamy unfold. We'll see divorce. We'll see adultery and we'll see see homosexuality. Um, incest, all that stuff. Those things will all be as a result of this sin, this mess, uh, not normative to the original intention, but you will see it all unfold. It's all going to unfold now. But again, it's not prescriptive like, oh, this is okay now. No, 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 no. It's clearly portrayed even through the Old Testament as this is the messiness now. Yeah. And so. Exactly. And again, tipping my hand to the future podcast, what you'll see when we get to the New Testament, the teaching of Jesus, Paul, to the end, is that this whole thing is moving back 
In fact, the end of your Bible, you're back at the tree of life. <laughs> the whole thing yeah. is moving through the mess of humanity now that we have to kind of wade this water and see, but yep. it's moving it back to its original intention. Yes. And exactly. by the time we get to the end of the revelation and the new heaven and the new earth, which is the consummation of this whole thing. Yep. We're back to the original intention. Yep, and the tree of life is there, and we're eating yeah. of it freely, those who have been saved. But since you've already said it, Sam, and you're showing it in the patriarch, we're going to continue, what, what you're going to see here as you go through here is, again, there is a, say, a form or a pattern or an intention that has never yep. really, that has not left. It's not just right. totally and, disappeared and thrown out. It's like, no, it's right. still there. And, and the point is, is pay attention to how God, what God chooses to do. So he, God chooses the man Abraham. God chooses to make the nation out of Isaac. Mm -hmm. God chooses this man, Jacob, over his brother Esau. Mm -hmm. These are choices that God is deliberately making. Mm -hmm. It's not man's choice. God could have totally decided, you know, maybe I'm going to make a, choose a woman to be uh, the next leader or something like that. See, that's what we're trying to say. You don't see that. Mm -hmm. So pay attention to the God. The, Deliberate choices that God makes. Yeah, and, um, and the reason we're doing a number of podcasts, when you originally asked me, Sam, we talked about this, was like, this goes back to the hermeneutic principle from session one of, yeah. of what was called progressive revelation. Right. Not some fancy anything. It just means that there's more and more clarity. Yep. And so right now, what we're doing as we go through the Old Testament is you're going to see these patterns unfold, this pattern, and it's going to continue yeah. to be here. And then it's yep. going to get more clarity and it's literally not even going to get more clarity. It's going to get, yeah, I mean, just more clarity, but right down to specific commands, imperatives in the New yes. Testament. And in we'll, the New Testament. And we'll get there. But right yep. now, right now, there's clearly, you can read this unfolding before your eyes and you can see these uh, patterns, these realities, these intentions still written into their laws, written into their relationships, written into how they interact with one another, as yep. in addition to... The failure because of sin, you see the ramifications of it. Yep, exactly. Okay, so so that's the patriarchy. We'll try to move a little bit quickly. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's talk about the priesthood because it's the next chronologically that shows up. Yeah. So here you have these people. They're in slavery in Egypt. God, they've been there for four hundred years. Um, um, it's not going well. God hears the cries of his people. He raises up who a man named Moses. Um, and Moses uh, brings and leads, you know, leads, you could say, I mean, look at that, leads this people out of slavery in, in Egypt. God speaks to Moses in a very personal, more personal than anybody else really on earth has been spoken to by God in a very personal way. It's as though, you know, the Bible says it's as though Moses is speaking to, G, to God face to face. Yeah. It's, it's a very personal, intimate uh, communication that Moses is experiencing with God, and and God gives Moses a written word. That, you know, think again as parallelism here is God gives Adam this this word, this command. God gives Moses the, this 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 these. these this law, the Ten Commandments, written on stone by God's hand, and then further laws, and Moses brings them and communicates these laws to the people of Israel. To all these people, he communicates them. He 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 explains these laws to the nation of Israel. So again, patterns, parallelism here. Here we have a man, Moses, who is 
who is stepping into this role, you could say, in a, in a good way of, of communicating the word of God to a people. And that is the role of the man. Now, with... Hey, before you go there, just one other little note, Sam. Again, there's going to be probably too many notes, but I do find this fascinating. <laughs> no, well, you, yeah. you, Moses, and he's led the people out now, I think is where you're yep. at. We're going to get into the priesthood. But notice when he led them out even. Notice that that final... That final curse, that final plague, if you want to call it that, um, that came uh, to to Egypt. Death of the firstborn. Firstborn sons. Yeah, not 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 woman, not yep. girls. Firstborn sons. Yep, there's uh, something really significant about that there. Yep, yep, and we'll keep moving through, and we'll get to that, especially yep. in the New Testament, because it's it's going to be a new Adam that's going to solve this. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. Okay. So, yeah, these these themes, these parallels, these patterns. Pay attention to that. Yep. Like, it's not insignificant. Yeah. There's a reason <laughs> for all of this. Yep. Uh, and why God chooses to do th- certain things and not other things. Now, so with, th- okay, the nation of Israel is coming out of Exodus, or uh, in this Exodus out of Egypt. God is making them a nation, as he promised to do. He's going to lead them to the, you know, with the leadership of Moses, he's leading them to the promised land that he promised Abraham. Again, this is an amazing thing. He made a promise to Abraham, the father of this nation, that they would inherit this land. So they're going out to this land. And then in the in the wilderness, we see just, again, this chaos. Again, all these stupid decisions, all this sin uh, take place. You know, I'm, we're not going to go into detail here. But within this exodus, there's an institution that starts. And it's the institution of the priesthood. So the priesthood... God says that it's going to be the Levites. And as he's telling Moses all of these, all these laws, and, and he, he's even telling him, this is how when, once you get to the promised land, uh, this, this, this tribe is going to get this amount of land. This tribe is going to get this land. This tribe is going to get this land over here. And he, he gives them very specific dimensions of the land. And he says, but the, the Levites, the tribe of Levi, they're going to be the priests. And they're not going to get any land. And their portion is going to come from me. And the rest of the nation of Israel, the 11 other tribes, they're going to tithe, you could say, and give to the priesthood to support them. And this priesthood is going to be a very special uh, institution that's going to represent me and, and, in a sense, protect my law and administer my law and and especially administer the sacrifices that's going to atone for your sin. (laughs) So it's a very, very, very important role. And you have to keep in mind that it was only given to men. A woman never occupied the role of a priest, ever. Not even once do you see it in the Old Testament. Not once. It was only given to men. And, and, and not only any man, but specifically the, man, the men in the tribe of Levi. And not only that, but then you have this role of high priest. And I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but even the high priest who was the only one that could go into this place called the holiest of holies, you know, in a very specific time. And that was only to be uh, the prodigy of Aaron, who was Moses' brother. So very specific. God's the one controlling this. God's the one that's ordained this. God's the one that has communicated this to, to Moses to communicate to the nation. It's all God's uh, decree and God's plan and God's uh, decision. So, again, patterns. Keep that in mind. Why didn't he choose a woman? Oh, you know, why not? 
Well, because it makes sense that God is following this original pattern, this original plan in 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 in, in the pre-fall time of male headship, male leadership. Makes sense. So, do you have anything to say about the priesthood? I mean, pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. Yeah, really you're... isn't any really isn't isn't even any problem passages with it. No. Um no. no that's good. So, then we have Let's talk about the the monarchy or the kingship. Yeah. We have this other institution, which, you know, interestingly, it, it's an interesting thing with the nation of Israel. God was their king, in a sense. Yep. God was their leader, um, their ultimate leader. God was their king. And they didn't have a king like the other all the other pagan nations that surrounded them. But in Deuteronomy 17, mm-hmm. we see, before they even get to the promised land, Moses is 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 giving this amazing like almost sermon this speech to this this nation before they're about to enter the promised land and he communicates now one day if you do decide to have a king this is what this king will be like and this is who he will be and we're actually going to go to that text of scripture because it's really insightful so it's in Deuteronomy 17 yeah and uh we're going to look at what what this king is to be like Sure. Who is he? I mean, I, I'm tipping my hand. Who is he to be? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Well, appoint a king. Right. It's going to be a man. It's a man again. Right. Yeah. I have to open up my Bible to it. Man, I should have had it ready. I've, Are you open to it, Dan? Oh yeah, I'll read it if you want. Yeah, read it. Go for it. Okay. Uh, I'm reading in the NASB. Uh, when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, and you possess it and live in it, and you say. I will set a king over me, like all the nations who are around me. You shall surely set a king over you, whom the Lord your God chooses. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Can't be any king. One, God has to choose. Right. And one from among your country men. There's a masculine yep. in here. You shall Mike's set. Mike's his brothers. Does it say that? Okay. Yep. Yeah. But, among your brothers. Yep. yep. The, you know, again, translation, but the interpretation clearly male. You shall yep. set as king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your countryman, not one of yep. your brothers. So this is going to be within the nation of Israel. You need to have an Israelite that God chooses, and it will be a man. Yep. Moreover, now listen, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. So he's not going to have a lot of uh, horses, or you could say the goal possessions. Of it, yep, he's not going to have a lot of possession for himself, and he's certainly not going to manipulate you as a people to go get more possessions, even for yourselves, from the wrong source, meaning back right. to Egypt where you came from. Then he shall not multiply wives for himself. So he right. should he should not be involved with polygamy, or else his heart will turn away. Ha. Huh. Nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of the kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. Yeah. <laughs> so, so think that through. Okay, It's going to be this man. He's going to be a king. He cannot be about accumulating possessions. He cannot be about having multiple wives. He cannot gather for himself silver and gold. And yep. this is literally to be written down as a law that he like carries around with him. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn okay, to fear the Lord his God. 
by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes. The, the goal of this king, yep. number one, is to what? To uh, uh, fear, that is, hold in awe, worship the Lord God. That is actually Amazing. the goal. And the way he does that is by living in such a way as a king, as a ruler, with authority yep. over the people in such a way that he doesn't gather possessions, he doesn't gather wives. It's not about him. Right. right. It's a display of godly character. Yes. And then verse 20, that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, that he's no higher than them. He's actually a nope. ser servant of them. He's humble. And that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or left, so that he he and his sons, sons yep. may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. Okay. This goes back to something I said earlier, even in the patriarchs. If we went through all the reading of the patriarchs, you would find that the goal of this patriarchal leadership, okay, is not power, but it's care. I already said it, security, trust, responsibility, blessing, caring mm -hmm. for, watching over, protecting to the point of even denying himself for the sake of the family. For the system. Yep. Well, that same pattern that we saw in the patriarchy over a family is now applied to a king over the nation. It's amazing. Same he's exact. A, he's a model. He's supposed to. Yep. Same thing. Yep. We, we've heard similar things uh, even, and again, I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's hard not to sometimes, but we look at elders in a church. In a sense, he's supposed to, what have I, um, he's supposed to. Uh, what am I trying to say? Embody the goal, model the goal, model mm -hmm. the direction that we're supposed to lead our people. Like this is what I want to be, have such high character. And that's why the standard for elders is such, they have to have high character because you're leading a people a certain direction. Yeah. And, and the king, again, think about how, how count, counter this description of this king is to our, our earthly understanding of what a ruler is like. I mean, think of any ruler on earth, and sometimes we do get a good example of a good ruler, and we think that was a that was a great leader of this nation, and it's really an amazing thing. But a lot of times we just have this bad picture in our minds of a guy who's just you know, he's domineering, he's a tyrant, he's 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 storing up for himself, he's he's living an extravagant lifestyle, he's yeah. living an immoral lifestyle, he's taking advantage of people, he's he's unjust, all this stuff, and. That's not this at all. This is exactly opposite. This yeah. this guy is humble. He's a servant of the people. He's leading them in the direction of of holiness and character and godly character. Mm -hmm. And the most important part of this is, which is amazing, is he's not he's not an administrator, which is really interesting. He's not he's not administratively orchestrating the nation of Israel. He's he's a man of the word of God. His main role is to go into the the temple where they had the copy of the word of God. He was to take a piece of parchment or whatever it was or a, a papyrus scroll. He was to make himself his own copy. He was to copy it down by hand, which would have took an, take quite a long time. In the presence of the Levitical priest to make sure it was accurate, and he did it right, and then he was to study and read and meditate that every day of his life. And we see that God gives his people the law, and he tells them, put this law on your heart. And when you put it on your heart, that is really how you, you, you become a doer of it and you actually become obedient to me is when you internalize it. Yeah. 
And so he's really called to to put this word on his heart, internalize it, have this be the center of your life, my law. So the point is, is that a godly man, or you could say a biblical man, or a, a facet, a feature, a central element of biblical manhood, and we're seeing this pattern now come from even the very beginning with Adam, is that the man of God or the biblical man is a man of the word of God. <laughs> and he's a man of character. And he's a man of, of, of modeling this character. And he's a man of, in a sense, sacrifice. He's, he's, he's concerned with the, the other. He's concerned with the other people. He's not living to have this extravagant lifestyle and, and use these people to gain his own things. No. Well, yeah, let me say this, though, Sam. He's living even beyond that, though. As it says here, he's living in a fear of God. Yes, first he's, and he, foremost. First, right. His first line yep. is he's subordinate to God. Yep. And if I could, if I could say here, if you go back to uh, the garden again, we've already talked about this, but if you remember, when God showed up after yep. the fall, he didn't go to Eve; he went to Adam. Right. See, Adam is Adam is the head there, and he's the one that's accountable. And I wish people could get this because, like. Again, it gets the application, and there's going to be a lot of weaving in our, our podcast, I'm sure. But, like, even for a woman to understand in light of this, like, if God showed up today in my home, if, God, if Jesus somehow walked in here today, he's coming to me and say, right. why is this thing right, wrong? There'll be the praise, there'll be the whole thing, but there'll be the, why isn't this taken care of, Dan? He's going to hold me accountable. There is a sense, a real sense in which my... Now, he held Eve accountable. He talked to her, but he talked to me first. Yep. And there is a real sense in which this gives my wife incredible freedom. Yeah. To just be who she was created to be. Takes the burden off. She's not responsible. And I have to... I, I tell her that often. Like, at the end of the day, the provision in my home and making sure there's money for her to... Like, like I kind of... You know, I'm the main provider. I bring in, bring that in, and um, and I kind of set the budget in the sense of these are the areas I think sound right. Do you sound right to you too? Yeah. Like, how much do we need for grocery? Boo, boo, boo. Well, then she kind of makes it all work. So my wife yeah. is actually the one that kind of juggles all that sort of stuff because she likes to. We've talked. You know, we've been married 37 yeah. year, years. Yesterday, by the way, she enjoys the management of all that. Right. Which, by the way, we didn't get into that, but that's what we will, maybe at the end we'll get to that. But that's one of the themes you see in the scripture. This woman yep. role is a help suitable, helper suitable for him. I mean, she, she managed the home. She managed the service. She managed the finances. She named the children. She even helped orchestrate marriages. Yep. Uh, I mean, it's a huge, huge responsibility and task. And she's obviously, my wife is gifted for it. Right. And it, it's this ridic ridiculous notion that somehow this role is somehow inferior. Yeah, or it's less, not, not or inferior. But see, not she, as honorable. Like, what? Yeah, so at, the, so at this point, at this point, at the point I'm trying to make right now is simply that, like, like there's this responsibility that I yeah. have before God. And if he shows up, he's coming to me. And, and the responsibility of this thing, the mistakes in this thing, the sin in this thing, the complications thing are going to fall on my shoulders. Right. And my wife is free just to live underneath my authority in that sense. Right. And it's right. 
Right. It's, it's, exactly. It's, it's it's like, and again, I can't say it enough. I wish people could see this. Like, it's freedom. My wife would walk in here right now if we bring her in here, and she says, "Man, I, I'm completely free to live my life." Yep. She she totally enjoys it. No, it doesn't mean we don't have tensions at time in those communications yep. relationship. The alienation's real, but in in large strokes, she would just say, "No, I enjoy my life." I. And, and, I, and I remind her, you're not responsible for this or that. I'm resp- That's my responsibility. Right. You know, we've had t- a couple times in our life where finances became weird. And I'm going to go, okay, we need to talk about this. And we probably spent too much here or did this. But I want you to know, you're not responsible for this. Yeah, at the end of the day, I'm the one. I'm the one. And I wasn't on top of this. I wasn't paying and attention I, to this. And I'm the one that if, if we need more, yeah. I'm the one going out there and getting it. Right. So you don't have to feel, you know, she might feel, there's been times where she felt like, hey, I really blew it. I was doing this or I spent this or... And I'm like, well, yes and no. But the fact is, is I wasn't on top of it. And the responsibility right. is not yours and you don't need to take it. I, I kicked myself for not being on top of it, paying attention to it. Right. And, and that's, you know, at least in one of my better moments, right? Like I have plenty of bad moments that I need to repent of. But that's, that's the point here. This is, you read Deuteronomy and this, this is what this is. A fear of God, uh, a care for the people, a security for the people. He's not concerned with possessions for himself, wives for himself, silver and gold for himself. He's not going to use the people to make him money. Right. No, this is about caring and serving them. And again, you've already tipped your hand to the New Testament. We get through the when we get to the New Testament. And again, we've said this is progressive. Man. It's going to be so clear. So clear. So That's clear. a beautiful thing about it's, it's, the progressive revelation. And when we get to the New Testament, it's, it's unfolding. It, it's so clear. It defines this, spells this right out. Yeah. Okay. So... That's the that's the the future kingship, future monarchy. When you do get a king, this is what he'll be like, um, and God will be the one to choose him. Yeah. We're we're gonna go chronologically here. So before we get to the actual institution where the kingship does actually show up in the nation of Israel, we have this period, uh, and it's in the book of Judges. It's this period of Judges where before they get a king, uh, Israel is in chaos because they're sinners, and and God appoints these individuals well, hey, called judges by the way sam um, i think people know this if they've read their bibles is most of the people tuning into this probably are christians i would assume so if they're gonna <laughs> hang with us this long but maybe not yeah. but, <laughs> but but here's one of the things uh if you remember or if you don't when you read it you'll see like while this is the uh uh the intention and the description of what the king's supposed to be yeah you actually don't find very many if hardly any in the old kings Testament, that actually that right. do this you're right the, the the true reading of israel and then when they split as nation into judah and israel is the fact is most of these kings really stink oh man and it, they were wicked wicked one right after the other after the other after every once in a while you know we end up with a, we end up with a uh, you know a josiah we end up well here Here's the, here's the statistics because yeah. I'll I'll let you know. Oh yeah, you have them. So, okay, go ahead. I I know yeah I know them off the top of my head. So yeah. you have the first you know we'll get to it, but you have Saul, but he was never actually supposed to be. He wasn't God's chosen king. He was God's chosen leader or pre or uh, is called prince, and then the people anointed him king. So in the original Hebrew, you see this very clearly. Uh, David was the one that was actually first anointed or appointed king. Okay. And then obviously we have the Davidic line. And so then his son Solomon is is the last king where it's a it's a united nation. And then it splits off and then you have the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. Uh 
And of the both of these divided monarchies had 20 kings. Both had 20, so a total of 40. The northern nation, Israel, zero out of the 20 were good kings. <laughs> All 20 were wicked. Oh, my. And why were they wicked? Because they did not come from the <coughs> Davidic line. They were not David Davidites or whatever it's called. They weren't God's chosen line of monarchy, of, of monarchs. They weren't of David's line. And David was the chosen race, or the chosen line, you could say, not race. Um, so Judah, here we have Judah, who is in the line of David. And out of the 20, only eight were good. Okay, there you go. So there's still more, 12 out of you know, the 20 were still right. wicked. Right. And that just shows you the pervasiveness of sin yep. and how it really does mess us up. Yep. And again, we're reading, so, we're reading what's descriptive. Yep, Don't, exactly. You have to, again, keep going to this because you see people, the minute they enter into the discussion in our culture, they want to run and pick something out of this and say, yeah. see, and then draw some application from it. And that's why we're, nope, we're working so hard at starting with hermeneutics, starting with Genesis, starting what's the, you could say, the intention, the intentional normati- the, uh, normative, the way it's yep. supposed to be, laying it out there, and then we say, sin has entered, and look at the mess, right? Yep. So, okay. So, got this, okay, I, I, I missed something. Uh, Moses dies, <laughs> guy oh. kills him. <laughs> before he enters into the promised land because he hit a rock twice instead of once. <laughs> uh, that's a different topic. But then Israel needs a new leader to to lead them into the promised land. And who is the leader appointed by God to lead them into the promised land? Joshua, another man. Um, and then now we're, now the Isra- Israel, the nation of Israel is in the promised land. Uh, they don't have a king yet. They're living in this time where they're starting to transgress the law again, they're, and they're turning away from the Lord. So God raises up these individuals called judges to to really bring back Israel back to covenant faithfulness. Uh, and then when one judge dies and Israel goes back to their wickedness and their transgression, then God will raise up another judge, uh, and then they'll go back, and blah, 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 blah. This big, you know, up and down, up and down, up and down. And one of those judges, and this is something that we have to talk about, uh, is a woman, and her name is well, is her name Deborah De- or is it or do, is it Deborah? Do people pronounce it differently? De- Deborah, I think. Deborah, I like Deborah. It's yeah. more familiar. <laughs> yeah. But Deborah, who's Deborah? What should we think about this? Does this mean that God's plan for biblical uh, for male leadership and male headship is just all thrown out? Because here we have this. This woman, Deborah, who is a judge, and what's her role? What's really going on here? How should we think about this? So we're just going to look at that briefly. I mean, there's not much to it, really. Well, um, well, and the reason you have to t- touch on it, right, is because yep. it seems like, in fairness, we have this exception. Okay? So yep. then we have to say, well, what do we do about the exception? And like a lot of these things, again, in the current milieu that we swim in here in 2020, there's these cultural discussions that are going on. That's why we're having these podcasts. And what people will do is they will jump to the exception and go, well, see, we have Deborah. Yep. Yep. And we got to go, you're right. We do have Deborah. Absolutely. It's there. So let's talk about it. And now we go to our 
our, our judges four and five, and we say let's let's look at let's look at yeah. Deborah and see what's going on here. Okay, go ahead. That's now Deborah, in verse four, chapter four, verse four of Judges. Now Deborah, a prophetess. So that's interesting. She's called a prophetess, which we haven't talked about the prophetic um, ministry yet or role. Um, the prophet wasn't this formal institution like the priesthood was or the monarchy or the kingship was. Um, the prophet was just, just it was just, in a sense, it, it appeared as though a random individual. It, it wasn't based upon lineage. There was no genealogy there. It could be from, it didn't matter about the tribe necessarily. It was just... God would raise up an individual. Yeah, it didn't male. And this, it didn't matter, male or female. Male or female, God would raise up an individual, and this individual would be given the word of God, and then they would communicate this word of God to the people. And it was always in a sense of warning. It was almost always warning, saying you have you have drifted away from the word from the law. God has given me a warning to tell you come back or this will happen. And basically, that's what it was. And and so you would have women. Who would do this as well? And not, not there wasn't. There's not a lot of examples in the Old Testament of of women prophets, but there are some. And here's one of them: Deborah, a prophetess, and Moses's uh, sister and Aaron's sister Miriam was also considered to be a prophetess. Um, but again, not a formal institution. Didn't have any. You could say, uh, uh, what am I? Institutional authority over the nation of Israel. They just communicated the word of God. Um, in a warning sense. Uh, notice, though, that many of our biblical books in the Old Testament are written by the prophets. And so we have the main prophet, prophetic books, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then we have the minor prophets. We'd say there's 12 different minor prophets. Um, and the point is, though, is that none of the writing prophets were women. And that's something that's a fact. Uh, none of the writing prophets were women. So none of the books in the Bible that we have that were written by prophets were written by women. So though there was examples of women prophets, prophetesses, uh, none of them actually uh, wrote inspired scripture that we have in our Bibles today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we would assume that really they they never did. Um, and he, again, pattern. God's design. We totally believe that God is the one who ordained uh, which books of the Bible we would have, uh, ordained uh, who would write the books of the Bible, who would, he would inspire to write God's word and, and have that word be passed down from generation to generation. And eventually we have it in our Bibles today. It's incredible. And again, pattern, consistency, they were all men. And we even look into the New Testament too, and we're going to have ourselves a little bit. But again, you look at all 66 books of the Bible, and every single one of them was authored by a man. And that's incredible. That's, you know, 66 out of 66. So, Deborah, prophetess, the wife of uh, Lapidoth, (laughs) kind of an interesting name was judging Israel. Now, uh, stop there. Was judging Israel. She's The judge wasn't this institutional judge that we have today in our society. So don't think of it. Don't think of that as a judge as you would think today. Uh, so it's not that. Was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah, uh, of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. 
Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent, uh, she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinom, uh, Abinom <laughs> from Kedesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go gather your men at Mount Tabar, <laughs> taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebluin, uh, and I will draw out Caesarea and general of Jabin's army to meet you by the river of Kishon with the chariots and his troops. And I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. And nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not let you, will not lead you to glory. For the Lord will sell Caesarea into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels. And Deborah went up with him. Now Heber, I'll just stop there. Uh, I mean, again, not a lot there, technically. Uh, but the point is to see that uh, Deborah calls upon a man, Barak, to lead. And in a sense, that's the principle. So she recognizes, you could say, this idea that it's not, it's not her place necessarily to go lead uh, the nation of Israel in this battle um, it's the place of a man, and so she uh, she she tells Barack, "You got to go do this." Uh, I mean, any other insight, Dan, that you have about that? And- <laughs> well, you know, the story unfolds, and Barack didn't want to go unless Deborah accompanied them. Yeah, but the point of this at this point is simply that it's uh, Deborah recognizes, if you will, the form and the intention and the structures that we've been operating under we've been seeing unfold and yep. so in in realize this way i need to have a man here to lead this thing yeah so she calls <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> she calls upon barack yep and what's interesting about that then is as we look at our bibles um uh hebrews eleven thirty two, which is referring to first samuel twelve eleven, simply this is that under these these what we call heroes of our faith that Hebrews speaks about all these key yeah. people in the hi- history of the nation of Israel, and they operated by faith, and they were the leader operating by faith, and they were the leader operating by faith, and this person operated by faith. Blah 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 blah. In that list, Barak's mentioned, but Deborah's not. Interesting enough, right? And so right. clearly, in the history of the nation of Israel, they recognize Barak as the man who walked with God and led. During that time, yep. that's the point. Right. So Deborah played a key role. There's no right. question. We're and not it, taking away from her role. It's no, amazing. No. And you could even make the case that she played the tremendous role of the helper suitable for him. Yeah. In that, she recognized, wait a minute, you need to step up to the plate. We need to get the guy over here stepping up to the plate. Given again, post-fall yeah. now. And she calls on Barack to step up to the plate. You see? Yep. Exactly, and, and that, and, and in a post-fall world, that's I would even say, you know, again, we're weaving in application. Of this, this is how this works. You know, there's times, mm-hmm. there's times a woman needs to look at a man, and say, hey, you need to uh, step up to the plate. This yeah, is this is in the butt a little bit. Literally, a woman could yep. see see like, hey, this is not my responsibility. Yeah, husband, man up, <laughs> man. Yeah, right. Seriously, seriously. I mean, there's yeah. a place for a woman to go. Listen, this shouldn't be falling on me. Right, man up. And so we're getting to get, you know, a little further ahead. But the point is, is we see the same pattern. Even though yep. Deborah is a judge here, 
the pattern is man step up. Yep. So. Yep. So yep. And then, I mean, again, not much more to say. Uh, we 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 eventually get to um, in in Samuel. First Samuel, we start to see we see the institution of the monarchy and the kingship. Um, and and again, we already laid out the fact that. Here you have this this Davidic line. God makes a covenant with David that his heir will again will be on this throne, this Davidic throne forever. Mm-hmm. And we know that is fulfilled in Christ. Christ is a descendant uh, in the line of David. It's amazing. But again, this the nation of Israel splits in two. Got the northern tri- northern nation of Israel, southern nation of Judah. Most of the kings that are in that place are wicked and they fail at their role. They do not line up with the Deuteronomy 17 picture of a king yep. as God had designed. So they, they, they've, in many ways, they fail at being a man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, incredibly. Um, but there's, again, there's some, again, uh, what am I trying to say? Some exceptions that we see within these narratives, uh, and many of them come with queens. Uh and you know you might even think of the example that might come to your mind is Queen Esther, um, but again, not necessarily. A, a, I don't think there's any issue with Queen Esther at all. Like here, you have this amazing woman that God raised up for a time such as this. If you look and read the, the story, <laughs> I mean, amazingly godly woman, faithful, unbelievable, an example, is tremendous. Yeah. Uh, but again, she she still was. Uh, you could say under the headship of her of her husband, who was the king. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I don't even know what else to say about it. Like, there still was this reality that if she was even to come into his courts, he would have to summon her. Yeah. And if he didn't summon her and she came in and he didn't extend his, his scepter, she would be killed. Yeah. And so there's this, and yeah. she does this incredible act of faith of going into the courts of the king without being summoned by faith, hoping that he will extend his scepter so that she can live, and he does. It's an amazing story. Yeah. So, so once again, you, the point is, is if you go through her or a few of the other queens that we see during this period, again, we're covering, yeah. we're touching high points, is that um, the queens had uh, an influence. They had, they absolutely, they, their, their advice was heeded. In some cases, their advice was heeded wrongly, but yep. they, they clearly were there giving advice. Um, yep. You know, and so I'm thinking of like. Jezebel and some bad oh queens, yeah that but wicked mentioned. woman <laughs> yeah but the point was is they were there to give advice yep. uh, in the best sense right and then um, uh, they had a, a spiritual influence on the ascension of uh, of a son underneath the yep. ki- the king uh, there was a uh, a sense within the Old Testament all this writings that the queen was actually mentioned often. When they would mention the son or mention the king, they would mention the queen. And again, right. again, that would be just again. We'll get to the progressive part of this as we continue to unfold the scriptures. But that's that idea of mutual dominion. You know, uh, there, right. is, there is this dominion of this mutual dominion. This this going back to the mandate in Genesis. Uh, they were both both in in Genesis chapter one, mm-hmm. and it was called very good. They were both called together. To have dominion, mm-hmm. dominion, and so mm-hmm. the king and queen is this again. Isn't that interesting? It's this perfect picture of that, right. fo- of that form, of that intention. 
right. that, we, that we see back in uh, Genesis. Yep. So. Um, now, we've been talking about, in a sense, you know, these, these, these male headship roles, priesthood, the king, the patriarchs. You know, what about, what about the role of the women, though? How does the role of the women, uh, you know, in the Old Testament... Um, we're going to get to it. We're going to look at Proverbs 31 because everybody's thinking about it. I mean, we're not going to just pretend like there isn't this chapter called Proverbs 31 that's just been this, you know, we just instantly think about it when we think about biblical womanhood. Uh, but before we get to it, this we saw in the beginning uh, in Genesis 3 that Eve's consequence, her first consequence, was in accordance to her role of being a mother, bearing children. And so now the consequence is that you're going to bear children in pain. And it's going to hurt a lot. And us men have no idea how bad that hurts. Only you women do who have had children. Um, so there is this reality. There's something really amazing and, and uh, beautiful. And, and, and it's just like I can't even express how important it is that a woman is is a mother and bears children and rears children and has a body that can, that can actually like have a a living human being grow in her and she's nourishing this human being with her own body and what she takes into her mouth is actually feeding this baby and then when this baby is born she's she's uh nourishing this baby with with uh, her own body again it's an incredible thing and so we can't deny this reality that that uh rearing children is a very important role to a woman uh, and then we see these interest—I mean, extremely interesting stories. Some of them very, like, very graphic and very disturbing. Again, the Bible is not afraid to talk about these stories, but we see these very interesting stories about how that ex- you could say expresses how important it was to women on being a mother. And the, one of the most graphic stories, and it's disturbing, and it's it's you could say an improper. Um, what am I trying? Improper expression of the importance of motherhood is Lot and his two daughters, and you probably have read that before. And you go, "What on earth is this?" And these these daughters were were so distraught at the fact that they're not going to be able to be mothers, and there's not going to be found for them a, a husband. That man, let's uh, get our let's get our dad drunk and let's actually lie with him and have him impregnate us without him knowing, and they do. And they are impregnated. And they do have children. And part of that, if you want to see the genealogy or the lineage of Lot and his daughters then and their offspring, it really is, eventually it becomes these very wicked nations. And so you see that this horrible uh, act of incest, uh, it was not meant to be like that. It resulted in wicked nations and wicked people and not good, not how it was meant to be. But then you see expressions of amazing, uh, you could say, biblical motherhood. And we see this with Hannah and Samuel. Here you have this woman, Hannah, who pours out her heart to God to be a mother. And her womb has been closed. She hasn't been able to conceive. Uh, and she pours out her heart to God in this amazing prayer where where her lips are moving, but no words are coming out. It's this amazing picture. And... and it basically just says to God, if I if you don't give me a child, then I'm gonna die. And and God gives her a child. God listens to her prayer and it's Samuel. And she then 
uh, really, it's called this Na Nazarite vow. Samuel becomes a Nazarite, which basically is you're devoted to God. You don't drink wine. Um, um, you don't cut your hair. Uh, there's one more thing. Um, a part of the Nazarite vow, I can't remember. Um, but nonetheless, what, what, there's which ones? Did, what I was looking at my notes here. What, what, which, what did you say? What Nazarite vow? Oh, I was talking about Hannah and Samuel. Yeah, but what, were, was, the, what were the some of the vows? You know, the qualifications. Oh, one, you don't cut your hair. Yep. Two, you don't drink wine. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, and three, um, why can't I think of it? Yeah, I'll look it up here. I don't remember either. It might be, it might be foreign wives. Um, yeah. Well, that was true for all the. You're right. Nation of Israel. But uh, my point really is, is that. Even we've been talking about the men, and we've been talking about the the wickedness of a of a you know the heir of a wicked king. Here's this beautiful picture of what a king is supposed to be like, oh, I, what a I, man I, is supposed to be like. I got the third one for you. I just looked it up real quick. Um, not to come in contact with corpses or graves. Oh yeah, that's what it is. Which was really really an, uh, an image of ritually and impure. They were to be a pure yep. Ho holy. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So the yep. point is, Hannah is this picture of this is this. Biblical woman who understands this amazing calling to be a mother. She prays to God that she would become a mother. He listens to her prayer, and then she, you could say, consecrates his son Samuel to the Lord, and and he becomes a Nazarite uh, and is and serves the Lord really from the youth. And Samuel becomes this amazing leader of Israel. He's the one that anoints King David, um, incredible man of God. So. The point is, is I, I, I want to balance. Here we're talking about kings and what a good king looks like in Deuteronomy 17 and how there's all these wicked kings. We see these examples. Uh, this, we see these examples of amazing women of God being biblical mothers, and it's this amazing thing. And we also see examples of, of women not being biblical mothers and, and doing some wicked things as well. So yeah. well, let me we throw, see wickedness on both sides. Well, another one, a real sweet book, is the book of Ruth. Yep. You Another know, amazing... Yeah, yep. Naomi and Ruth. And actually, Ruth is a really beautiful picture because even Boaz is so respectful of her. Oh, tremendous. Protects, it's amazing. Protects her from the servants, doesn't, yep. take, doesn't take advantage of her. I mean, it's just... People can read it, but it's a beautiful picture, actually, of a man and woman responding how they should. Yep. And it's actually a picture that... We, we, we believe the reason that God wanted it in our scriptures is it clearly is not just this beautiful story of all sorts of wonderful stuff, but it's a picture of the kinsman redeemer idea yep. of Christ yep. being the, the kinsman yep. re ultimate redeemer. Beautiful picture of redemption. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we'll let it go at that. But that's another picture, though, of a wonderful right. picture of womanhood. Yeah. Yep. And again, Ruth becomes... Um, her and Boaz, they be, they're in the lineage of Jesus. I mean, uh -huh. they're... they're <laughs> so it's yeah. it's in, it's incredible, yeah. Uh, these stories, but yeah. Proverbs thirty one. <laughs> let's let's talk about that right now. Uh, contextually, I mean, it's in the wisdom literature, so it's wisdom. Um, again, we've been talking about hermeneutics. Uh, we have to understand the genre of the book that we're reading. Um, now, it, it's written to. If you look at the beginning of Proverbs thirty one, maybe your Bible says it, it's. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. So, this is, you could say contextually, this is written to a, to a man. Um, and 
this is something that these young men would learn and they would memorize this oracle or this saying or it, it, it's it's called it's poetry really it's called an acrostic poem yeah um and if you look at it in the hebrew every line of this acrostic poem starts with a different letter of the hebrew alphabet uh, uh, and when you think poem you could think song yeah song something you to would, be sung we, yeah. we'd sing it we would we would memorize it we would know it it, yeah. would, it would be celebratory you know in a sense yep it was um yeah. So keep that in mind. So these young men would sing this. Uh, this mother's teaching this to this young man, her, her son. It's this amazing thing. And so they would sing this. And, and starting in verse 10, I mean, we'll just read it quick and then we'll talk about it. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant, and she brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out to her, her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself, her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of her, of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. So, this last uh, verse 30 is very important. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is praised. Here's, this, here's a very inter interesting insight here. Remember what the man of God, this this king was supposed to do. His primary role was to fear the Lord, learn to fear the Lord. And now we could say that the, the primary role of a woman is also to fear the Lord. <laughs> and and this is the amazing thing. I mean, we're both image bearers. Man and woman are image bearers of God. And we, as we pursue God as our primary pursuit, we you could say inevitably in a sense step into also our role as a man or a woman as god designed us it's this amazing thing so if you want to be a biblical woman or if you want to be a biblical man in line with how god designed you you're not going to be able to do it apart from pursuing god and fearing the lord so that's primary uh you need to fear the lord whether you're a man or a woman but uh, here's here's a way not to read this. A way not to read this is as a we would say a laundry list 
all these things of how a woman is supposed to be and just oh a woman could look at this and see all these things oh man there's a ton of them too <laughs> and one person said like this woman that's described she's both a, a morning person and a night person how, how is that possible like is she ever sleep <laughs> uh and so it's not a laundry list uh it's more of this it's this again poetry it's a song that you would sing and it's written to a man so a man as he recognizes these things in his wife he's giving her praises he's praising her for him He's celebrating these wonderful attributes of this woman um, <clears throat> that he sees in her. Yep. And so these would you could say these are things he, he's memorized, he sings, he understands, they've been taught to him. And now as he sees these in his wife, he's praising her for them. Yeah. And it's this beautiful thing. Yeah, and, and you know, and sees it in his wife. And certainly as a young man, he was given this by his mother. Right. And so certainly built into that is, hey, this is what I want to look for. In a yep. wo- woman of God, right? Exactly. I think the other thing is you say a lisp, as I've heard this from, uh, you know, uh, I have four daughters that are, yep. um, you know, um, out there in the world now and some grandkids. And so young married. Um, what was I trying to say? Oh, they can feel like this is a laundry list or not a laundry, uh, a checklist, a checklist. Um, and you've already addressed that. But also realize that this is a description of, of this godly woman. And there's yep. a sense, there's a really a, even a sense of like, it's an overarching picture of a woman. You could even say over her lifetime, right? Yeah. So there was a time that my wife was more engaged with these five little kids running around the house. Right. Well, those five little kids are grown up and out of the house now, and we have this thing called an empty nest, right? So, right. During that time, my wife was just as industrious as she is now, but in a different way. Yeah. Now, yep. she didn't have a business. She wasn't selling out in the market. She was you know, managing the household and managing right. the home. Uh, but now, now we're empty nest, you know, late 50s. And she's developing uh, from a, a thing she's always loved, gardening. And we're developing this. Really, it's hers. I'm coming alongside her. Isn't that interesting? Helping her. <laughs> no, really, really. I'm helping her. Yeah. She, she wants to develop a flower business. Yep. See? And so when you see this description, I could say, in a lifetime of 37 years of marriage, my wife has played these roles at different times. Right. And, and not only do I look for it, as this young man from his mother was given, but I sing this over my wife. I rejoice as I see these things in her life. And so yep. it's not to go to her as a man and say, here's the checklist, dear. You're supposed to be. <laughs> it's more, this is your wife. Sing over her. Mm-hmm. And obviously, women are reading this and seeing it as an expression of an image of what they are to become. Right. And that's, that's, that's fair turf. But it's not, man, go give this woman this list and see if she meets it all. <laughs> right. 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 And, and he, in my old Testament class, uh, my professor had a few bullet point notes on this and yeah, he says, he says it's fitting, it's a fitting end for the book considering its emphasis. So the whole book of Proverbs has a very strong emphasis on avoiding adulterous situations and immorality. So it's a fitting end for that in a sense, like, um, part of avoiding adulterous relationships and immorality is, is. One, having a man have a high enough character to know what is actually uh, what should be pursued in a woman 
and over these others things. So at the very end of the Proverbs 31, you see like uh, beauty is, f- is fleeting, basically. Like mm-hmm. if, you, if you're just looking purely on the external form and figure of a woman and you're not looking at her internal character, you, you're going to you're going to put yourself in a bad situation that could l- increase the odds of adulterous situations and immorality. Yeah. So then he says the choice of a wife is a test of character for both the man and the woman. If that makes sense. So when a man is looking for a woman like the Proverbs 31 woman, it's it's not only that he's looking for a woman of high character, but he it's it's a test of his own character because he's he's correctly valuing what really does matter. Yeah, what God values. Yeah. Yeah, what God values. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so the woman plays an extremely important role in the character and in the development of the children as well. So uh, obviously we know that once a man and woman come together, there is this, there really is this command by God, be fruitful and multiply, increase, subdue the earth, uh, have children. And it's a beautiful thing. It's an amazing thing. Have mm-hmm. children. And it's important that a man, as he's looking for a wife, as he's pursuing a wife, again, the man has this role of pursuing. As he pursues a wife and he's looking for a woman, uh, he should take into account her character because the wife's character is going to have a tremendous effect on the development and the character of the children. So that's an important thing. Like, mm-hmm. you can't you can't forget that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's an important thing. That's why when we look, go back and gain consistency, that's why when we look back and we, and we see uh, the mentioning of the kings of, of Judah and the kings of Israel and stuff, Often their 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 moms, their mothers are mentioned as well, because the mom, the mother, has a, a very heavy influence, a tremendous influence, on uh, the development of a child and on a king, uh, on a son, even on, on the daughters as well. Yeah. So development on their char- this, character and integrity in their spiritual life. It's huge. It's huge. Yep. Yep. So. It's huge. The book of Proverbs had this has this overarching theme as well as this contrast between two types of women, women folly and women women wisdom. And in a sense, this is uh, part of that. Like this is a woman. This is an aspect of, of of wisdom, godly wisdom here expressed in this Proverbs thirty one woman. You could say, um, and, and yeah. So that it's just uh, some things to think about um, as we uh, considered this Proverbs thirty one. Um, woman, you know, woman that we that we like to talk about or think about, but it really is, it's a really is an amazing chunk of scripture. It really is. <laughs> yep. But, I mean, we really, I mean, covered what we wanted to cover in a sense. Um, let, let me say a couple wrap ups to that real quick. Yeah, that'd be great. Again, just even knowing you, Sam, and your age, I'm guessing there's a lot of guys and women your age that are listening to this, and so I think this contributes to that. But like, so. I'm trying to go in order because I'd like to come back and summarize everything we've said quickly, simply. But to the Proverbs point, it's an interesting, okay, the adulterous situation, being wise, the character of the woman, this whole imagery in the scripture back from Genesis. So I look at young men in our culture and young women, but I look at young men and obviously, you know, pretty much from whatever, 16, 17, 18 on, they start increasingly getting this incredible sex drive. Right. See the beauty of women. Women uh, respond to men. Uh, women like to look beautiful, like to uh, be wanted and desired, and they long for families and marriage. It all kind of fits together. And so uh, 
I just find it interesting. We live in a culture that keeps prolonging yeah. this marriage thing. Yeah. And part of it is because we, I mean, in all fairness, we live in this promiscuous world where somehow there's these other alternatives for the expression of these desires that God's wired in the men and women, right? And, right. And, and you know what I'm talking about. You young guys, you got an incredible sex drive. It's just, it's just powerful. It's real. I mean, it's just real. Right. Well, there's a place for that to, for a Christian man. There's a place, well, it's for every mankind in the beginning, but certainly for the Christian man, there's a place for that. And it's called marriage. And so, exactly. so without somebody saying, oh, you're being weird and old fashioned. Listen, where did we get this message that says you're supposed to go have a full career, make all this money, buy a house before you get married? Yeah. That, that whole thing is bizarre to me. I'm like, no, go get married. You young right. guy should, should be looking for a wife. Right. And you're not going to find uh, the perfect woman in life. And women, you're not going to find the perfect man. And so uh, Mr. Darcy's not coming and the perfect pride and prejudice story isn't going to happen. Yep. But there's some godly men out there that want to have a godly wife. And there's a godly women out there that want a godly husband. And that should be happening more readily in the church than it is, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying that, you know, say I'm an old guy and I got some gray hair now and, you know, I'm old fashioned. I'm not old fashioned. I'm looking at the Bible going, this is the provision that God has made for this. Yeah. And you learn to grow together and live life together and develop a life together. And uh, you start young, you grow up together, you're sanctified together, you become one flesh. Mm -hmm. And so I would, there's a lot of guys I just like to kick in the butt and say, you need to go find a wife. Yeah. Now, now listen. I'm not telling everybody you got to follow after what the Lord's leading you to do. I'm not making a blanket statement, but I am making a statement that I think, in general, the majority and vast numbers, you young guys should be pursuing a wife. Yeah. And you wives, you women, should be looking for godly men, and have your eyes and ears open, and thinking about Proverbs 31 and saying, "I want to be a woman of character. I want to be a woman who cares for myself." And uh, you know, looks to the future and looks to a family and looks to a life and looks to represent God in this world and have dominion with a man. Um, you guys should be looking for this stuff is what I want to say. Right. And Amen. Be, and I'm all about it. I know. But isn't it weird that I even have to say that's what's weird to me, honestly. Here I'm on this podcast. Sam, you're 24 now, right? 20. Yep, 24. And here I am going to be 60 here in a month or so. And it feels weird to me that I even have to say this. I really, be honest with you, like it's kind of awkward to me. And I don't know why. It's like, this is so natural and so right and so the way it's supposed to be. But again, we're living in a milieu. You know, milieu means yeah. like the environment we're living in that's a secular world. You have to understand, we live in a secular society that has completely other ideologies. It's no different, really, in a sense, than here's this nation of Israel going into the promised land. And they are to be a separate people, like we've been talking about. Think about this. They are to be a separate people, different different um, ethics, different diet, different uh, laws for themselves, different way they treat each other, uh, fear of the Lord in the center of that. They are to be a different people. And God is describing here the way he designed the real world to work, and he's giving them the insight, the knowledge to go, not only are you supposed to be a separate people, but that separate people is actually the way I created people to live. Yeah. <laughs> but the problem is, is you're going to go, you are going to leave Egypt now and you're going to go into a world 
and even in Egypt it was this way, but particularly yep. now in this other world, you're going to go in a world where there's going to be a boatload of other ideas. Yep. You know, today we call it pluralism. You're going to have, you're going to be confronted with people that worship all sorts of gods. You're going to be confronted with all sorts of ideas, all ideas of what it means to be men, what it means to be women. You're going to come up with all sorts of ideas of, of sexuality. And, and God is literally saying, no, I have the plan for you that you will flourish. You will not be miserable. You will be a holy people. You will be what and become what you were created to be. And that's the picture he's giving us. Mm -hmm. And so kind of on the older guy in the podcast, I guess, I'm exhorting people going, we've been called to live differently as Christians. Right. And we shouldn't be afraid of that. And compared to a secular world, you could say, wow, the Bible sounds kind of sexist. Well, yeah, it does compared to the world that's being con you're confronted with. Right. If you want to call it that, well, yeah, there's these roles. These, this, this is the way God's designed it to flourish in beauty and wonder and greatness. And has sin jacked it up? Sure. Is there a mistake? Sure. But guess what? We get to repent as Christians. We get to turn from our sin. We get to turn to Christ. We get to turn to his word. And we get to move this whole ship in a different direction than the whole culture is yeah. going. And that's the amazing thing about regeneration. We've been given new natures. We've been given the spirit of God. And we can move towards the original design with that, like with success like yeah. in enjoyment and actual fulfillment and actual fruit in it and yep. and have a sweet experience of it too yeah we'll have our yep. you know we have sin in it yep but it's we're still moving the right direction as christians it's an amazing thing yep and so it and again we brought this up in other other uh podcasts and this is part of the thing when we talk about uh you know particularly you know sexuality homosexuality these kinds of things um, it's so sad to me because um, people are going to be miserable. They're going to experience uh, abuse, uh, uh, emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, physical abuse. It's going to be misery. It's going to be control. They're not going to become who they were created to be. Anything contrary to God ends up in, in misery and ends, mm -hmm. up, ends up in a distortion. And, oh, You'll have your high for a day of some kind of what seems like pleasure, and it's this is going to work. You will not become what God's created you to be. It can't. It can't work that way. Right. So, so, and that's. I don't mean just homosexuality. That's just prevalent right now. But even if you think that you can go have sexual exploits outside of a context of marriage and whatever you call it now, you know whatever all that is. And I know there's this. Was it Tinder and all this weird stuff out there where you can go connect with people all over the place, and you don't understand you're actually destroying yourself in that. Right. You're actually becoming something less than you were. In fact, you know, it's kind of comical in a certain way, but you know what the picture of that to me is? Really? It's this, It's the story of Pinocchio. <laughs> I know everybody's going to laugh, but think about it. Go watch the cartoon and realize the depth of significance of that little cartoon story that comes out of history is that you got this little guy that's a puppet that sort of wants to become a boy and he gets thrown on Fantasy Island where he can do anything he wants and have all the fun and games. But guess what he turns into? A jackass. A donkey. Yep. And it's like, it, you, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So God's given right. us this beautiful picture. And, and, you know, I'm sort of preaching now. I guess it's called Preach and Persuade. So. Yep, good. Preach it up. Okay, there you go. So can we can we uh, do a quick summary though? 
I had yeah. I had sum- some, summarize it up. Oh, I just had a handful of notes. Okay, so just to yep. understand some things, some highlights. Okay, so number one is the problem that we've got throughout the Old Testament. Uh, we started with this beautiful picture in Genesis on our other podcast. We move now into the problem. The problem is sin. The problem isn't the picture. The problem isn't the form. The problem problem isn't the intention God had. The problem is sin. <laughs> okay, and where right. it's where it's done well, it's very good. It's very good. But we have a backdrop now of sin. So the backdrop of the Old Testament is failure and a mess. So you can't just jump in there and pull stuff out and try to make your case without taking it into the context. Uh, The large evidence of the Old Testament, if you read through it, there's tremendous protection of women. Again, Ruth is a beautiful story. There's actually a care and a protection of women uh, from women being exploited and damaged and harmed. Uh, It's a protection. It's actually a protection, right. protection of their role that they've been called to. Um, uh, the scripture is clear from the beginning to the, of, our, of Genesis to the end of our Old Testament uh, that uh, men, were, men were called to lead in every place. Yep. Every place men were called to lead. And what's fascinating to me about that, okay, if I were to say something, not just ethically were to lead, but the way God created a universe, we live in this this moral universe and there's just certain things that you can't undo you know we've said it before you, you can't undo gravity you can't you can try to defy it but it doesn't work you know uh you can try to change your dna and become something different than god intended you to be it's not going to work it's just it, it can't work it doesn't work you can't yep. you can't go against the grain okay now here's what's interesting about that so since god made men to lead one of the things that's an interesting kind of thing that you watch unfold okay you see it in the Old Testament, by the way. I think of Numbers 13 and 14. For some reason, that's where my mind goes now. But all these spies are sent into the promised land. God says, hey, it's, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. Milk and honey, awesome place. But by the way, there's going to be some giants there. But you go in there and you take that place. So the yeah. spies go in there and the spies come back, right? And there's only two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, who say, hey, let's do what God said. It's ours. Let's go take it. The yeah. rest of the spies, okay, come back and they mumble and grumble. Oh, there's giants there. there we're going to get our butts kicked. We can't do it. Blah, blah. They don't want to believe what God said, really. But here's the fascinating thing to me in light of what I'm, the point I'm trying to make, is that what you see happen in the camp amongst the people is the women and the children start freaking out because these spies are freaking out. Yeah. So what I'm saying here is that just because they're men created in the image of God, and they've been created in this system that God has created to lead, when they lead wrongly and they start operating in fear and not believing God, it impacts all the women and children. And they start doing the same doggone thing. They start following yep. after this. Okay? Exactly. So, so the bigger point I'm trying to make then is you could look in the history of the world. It's very interesting. The studies have been done. And you go into a culture and you will watch, for example, where homosexuality goes. starts with men. Men being perverse, men not being what God's called them to be. And what you will see is there'll be another wave behind that. And the next wave is other kinds of perversion, you know, lesbian perversion, and then yep. other kinds of perversion. And in the end, if I could just jump to it, and you can, these studies are out there of cultures and, you know, um, civilizations. In the end, it's always an oppression, a destruction of women and children. The, 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 yep. the most vulnerable get harmed. Yep. And it's because, going back to the beginning, it's very interesting. It's because men aren't standing up and being what they've been called to be. Yep. 
and you see this, you know, you saw this Me Too movement, and I remember watching this Me Too movement unfold, and I, I, I remember a prominent uh, politician woman, uh, Fiorina. She's actually the CEO of Hewlett Packard. Fa fascinating, very gifted woman, leads a, co a corporation. Another discussion for another day, but she, she incredibly gifted. But I remember her saying, uh, it, in the middle of the whole Me Too movement, she was uh, she was going to she was looking to be a candidate for presidency, you know, and she didn't, you know, Trump got it, but she didn't. But what was fascinating about it is seeing her interviewed about this Me Too movement, which was, you know, all the mm -hmm. women, you know, this movement that rose up that said, hey, we we've been harmed by men. And her her fundamental issue is like this is a man problem. Yeah. And it is. But it see, is. This, this is the thing that bothers me. It's like. Well, look around, folks. This is this is Harvey Weinstein. This is that knuckle-headed uh, doctor up in uh, Michigan State. This is this 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 whole movement. This is men exploiting women. If if men were saying, "No, I'm not buying pornography, and I'm not giving in to this baser sinful nature of mine, uh, this twistedness that is a twist. It's wrong." It would come to an end. Yep. But men don't. And mm -hmm. men cave to this, and it continues to perpetuate this mess. And you see it all around us. You see it all yep. I, I see all the time. I had a discussion in the last couple of years. It was so frustrating to me. Somebody wanted to debate to me about art, but it was photography of a young man photographing a young woman and putting her nude on the Internet. And I'm like, well, that's just the exploitation of a young woman. And we want to call it something else and make sense of it. And I'm going, no, 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 no. This is an actual young woman from a community that people know. And she's been put yeah. out there now. And we, we ought not do that. No, we can't do that. We've been called to protect. See, to me, it's like we've been called to, we need to help young men understand. We've been called to protect and right. care, care for. And, and that's part of protection. And part of the protection is denying myself, everything yeah. we've and, been reading and, here, and, denying myself for the sake of, this another another yep. a woman a vulnerable a woman it, a child like, anyone i say this to young men i mentor i'm like no like like you know some young men who are married okay so if you engaged in some kind of uh, immoral activity before you got married i realize you love this woman and maybe you know you cross some boundaries like you you violated your leadership then and there oh absolutely and there's a sense in which you need to go back and repent and say yep. you know what i did wrong i led well, wrong here yeah and, yeah. you know, I say this to young guys. I'll be with 10 young men tonight. Some of them are looking at marriage. And when I've said this to them, boy, they give you this crazy look, you know, like, oh, man. Deer in the headlights. <laughs> oh, well, not even that. Not these guys. These guys are... We've Almost been, like uh, profound we, look. Yeah, yeah. We've been unpacking these scriptures. And I've said, listen, yeah. guys, we're sinful men. I, I get we blow it. I get, yeah. Right? But it's wrong. And, yeah. we need, and we need to repent of it. And those of you that are looking to marriage, you, you know, you got fiancés, you're ready to move it. You need to step up to the plate as a man and first of all, repent where you've blown it. Secondly, you need to be a leader in this and protect something that's not yours until you're in a rightful covenant with this woman. Right, yep. And if imagine, you're courting a woman, you have the, you have the response, you are yeah. held responsible to the purity of this relationship that's, until you're married. That's my point. And you, if you mess this up, even if she comes to you saying, "Hey, let's do this," yeah, you're, boom, nope, done, not, yep. not yeah, gonna happen. You, you need to lead it, and I get guys. Yep. I, I'm a guy, okay. I, I get the temptations, and I get that you're in love, and I get the movement in our in our lives and where this goes. I'm not dumb, but like, no, but we've been called before God as Christian men to lead, to, to protect. Lead. 
and and we need to do it. We, right. We we need to do it. And in in, in in large measure, I'm not going to stop a pagan culture around me. Right. Uh, yeah. I wish I could, but if men in an entire society would step up to the plate and be men, right. This this whole thing would come to an end. Right. So minimum. Minimally, it should come to an end within our midst, meaning yep. within the body of Christ. Now, I know the need for redemption. I know that our sinfulness, we're no different than the nation of Israel. We've been saying this in this whole podcast. Uh, there was this intention, this call, this responsibility, and they blew it, right? Well, yeah. I get we blow it, okay? So don't misunderstand. I still think we, I need to call. I, I still think we put the, the imperative well, out there and go, no, this is what God has called us to. And where we're but there's even it. a, there's even a more profound reality with the church now though, is that yeah. not everybody in the nation of Israel was what we would call an elect. And well, there's this reality re, of the new re, covenant would be that yeah, no longer will this yep. law be something external to you, yeah. but I will write the law on your hearts. Mm-hmm. And we, we, and we see with Ezekiel too, I will, you're gonna be. You're gonna have the spirit of God in you. God's gonna put His spirit in you, and that's our reality today as the church. Those who are truly saved, we have the very spirit of God in us, um, who is, who is helping us. <laughs> yeah. In in the pursuit of holiness and obedience. Yeah, and, He gives us the power to overcome, and we should. Yeah. Yep. So, I'm preaching now. But anyway, so there was a problem of sin. The backdrop of sin in the Old Testament. There were lots and lots of things, if you really read it and get into it, that are fair, that exalt women, their position, their role, protection. Men were to lead. That's where I got hung up here. Again, we've already been emphasizing this other note I had in my summary was that we have this this imagery pre-fall, and then we look at the Old Testament. You have to be careful because it's a mess but you yep. see, but you see the pattern, the flow. We're gonna to get to the New Testament redemption, where it's reclaimed, if you will, and exalted, yep. very clearly cl- defined, very clearly. Um, at the same time, you know, through the Old Testament, you see this reality of men and women coming together in a union and yep. having dominion, co-heirs of salvation, co-heirs of the earth, co-heirs of the thing, and each have their place in that whole yep. thing and responsibility yep. and consequences for it. So. I, you know, we could say more. We've labored it, but that's my thoughts on summary, Sam. I don't know. You may have others. No, I thought it was great. It's exactly right. Um, okay. And again, we'll move into the New Testament now. And again, further clarity. Clar- that's the whole incredible thing. This is what blows my mind about this whole discussion because, again, we've already talked. This is a, this is a hot discussion today. Hot. Oh, is it hot? Oh, does it get people worked up? Oh, does it, uh, like, the things that Dan and I have been saying, oh, man, there are so many people, even within the church, that would push against what we're saying so hard. And our goal, again, is to show you, starting from the beginning to the end, starting with proper presuppositions, using proper hermeneutical principles, putting the scriptures, the pieces on the table, being logical and rational, like, look at the consistency in the scripture on this. Mm-hmm. Look at how clear this is. It's so clear. And then when we get into the New Testament, and we're going to in the next episode, it's even clearer. I mean, it's unbelievable. And that's what it just blows my mind that people <laughs> who are Christians push against this. I don't get it. I do not get it. And maybe it's just a, a lack of education, and maybe you just haven't been around people who are teaching the Bible really well. And I hope, hopefully, then you stick with this, and you, 
maybe we we can help and you can see yeah this is well, clear and well part of it sam is you know when you say that we're not i mean we've exhausted this today probably for sure but um when you say you don't understand well again we have to work yeah. this out in our own lives we work out our own salvation right, and right. trembling we examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith the point of all that is that we have to go back to the Bible. We have to lay the pieces on the table and just recognize that every one of us, because we live in a culture, can be influenced by the culture around us. Yep. And again, we see it in the Bible, right? That's what happened to the nation yeah, and of Israel. Don't, don't be surprised. <laughs> yeah, the nation of Israel is supposed to go in and be a different people, and they just absorb the culture around them. It happens right. all the time, and that's what we do. And, it, but, and yeah, then don't... we bring it in. Then we bring it in, like I said, we baptize it with Christian terms, and we try to yep. make it Christian. So there's that. There's that. The other one is is there's no doubt in my mind because of the sinfulness of man that many, probably listening and many in the church, haven't seen a good example right? or haven't recognized or felt the pain of the sin, right? felt the, pay, pay, uh, the pain of uh, wrongful male domination. They felt the right. pain of it done wrongly. Yep. They've experienced abuse in their life or an abuse from a boyfriend or it may didn't even feel like abuse. But frankly, like we just talked about, if, um, uh, you know, you had sex outside the context of marriage, okay? Right. You actually did just experience something that's wrong. Yep. And the guy didn't lead. Right. So, I mean, yep. that that's real. That's true. And it's going to so, affect you. It will affect you. And so I could see people responding to that, trying to come up with a solution uh, and they're trying to come, and they come up with these solutions that are other than what God's answer yeah. and solutions. Yep. And Ex- ultimately, let's just say this. Yeah, let's let's just say. Well, you know what the ultimate answer is going to be? This is what's so beautiful. The ultimate answer is going to be the gospel. The ultimate right. answer is going to be, oh, I can be forgiven, and now with the work of the Holy Spirit uh, illuminating His Word, I get to move in a, work, a, a, a road of holiness re- that brings yep. about redemption. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. This is the cool thing. So you sit here today and you feel guilt because of your failure immorally. You feel your guilt because your uh, failure is stepping up to a man. Women are listening, fe- feeling their failure and their feels, fears and insecurity. You know, when it's all said and done, the, the answer for this is, is to step into the gospel right, and begin to listen to the word of God and actually put the pieces on the table and then learn how to apply that in your life. Yep. And you're going to see redemption. Yep. Yep. So. Boom. Well, I think that will wrap up this discussion. Next one will be on the New Testament. So that'll be, that'll be fun. I mean, that'll be great. Uh, that... The things that we'll look at in the New Testament are going to be more, you know, closely related to, the, again, we're getting closer to our current present experience, especially as a church. Um, but, yeah, again, we'll start to see the further clarity as the scriptures are unfolded to us. And uh, hopefully uh, by the end of it, and as we start to talk about application at the end of our, our survey of the scriptures, it just it starts to just be very clear. Um, and... Uh, Again, we're, we're doing this because it, it's a necessary discussion to have. This is very important. This is very important. This is fundamental to how God designed this as human beings. We need to have this discussion. So, again, hopefully you enjoyed it. If you did, uh, if you learned something, I really encourage you to share it with a friend or a family member or whoever you want. But uh, tune into the next episode. Thanks for listening. Bye.